Well, as I mentioned, Luke, uh, Luke 8, verses 1 through 3, is where we will be studying uh, God's Word this morning. And this is a bit of a change in the mission of Jesus, uh, not in the content, but in how he carries it out. So we'll see that in a moment. But here's God's holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Well, you've heard someone say, and probably someone has said it to you, well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Um, Well, today, I've got some good news and that's it. I don't have any bad news. That's, that's, That's good news in and of itself. I've just got good news for you today. And that's what Jesus brought to all these towns and villages Uh, throughout uh, Galilee when he was taking the the good news of the kingdom of God to all the people, to the cities and and the villages. So we want to look at this good news today and I want to talk about the existence of good news, that Jesus brought good news um, and there is good news to be heard uh, and and, and to look at it within its context, the context of good news There is a little bit of bad news. There's some bad things in the world and in our lives, and and uh, that's kind of the context of the good news. You know, we we have a a message, something that has happened. Christ brings something into our the context of our world, into the context of our lives. It is wonderful news. We want to look at that, and we want to see the embodiment of good news. Jesus Christ not only brought good news, but he, he himself is the good news. And we'll explore that as well. And then we want to talk about how we should respond to this good news. Well, the text before us marks a transition in the public ministry of Jesus. Up to this point, Jesus and his disciples had used Capernaum as their home base. But now they're truly on the road. They're traveling from city to city and village to village. Now notice what uh, they're doing, what Jesus particularly is, is, uh, is, it's noted that he's doing as he methodically travels from city to city and village to village. He is proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. There are two verbs here in that sentence. The first uh, is translated proclaim here. It's the Greek word caruso, um, which is, means nothing to y'all, but it's in my notes, so I'll, when I preach this again, I'll be able to look it up easily. Um, but it means to herald, to announce, to proclaim, or declare something. And it doesn't have to be like a preacher. Anybody who would stand up and, and, and broadcast something, that's what the word uh, means. And then the second verb, is a synonym of the first verb, to proclaim, and it's 
translated here as bringing the good news. That's one verb, one word, bringing the good news. And it's the Greek word euangelizo, and we get our word evangelize from it, or evangelism, or evangel comes from that, that, that word group. Now this word uh, as well, you know, we understand it in a religious con, uh, a context. Evangelism, we usually think of, of telling people about Jesus. That's evangelism. But that word uh, had a meaning and was in existence before Jesus came along. Uh, it's a word in Greek that means uh, to announce good news, to be a herald of news. And it was uh, often used by the Greeks to refer to the messenger, the euangelos, the, the one who brought the good news uh, and, and was used in the context of someone coming from the field of battle by ship or by horse or even uh, on foot, a swift runner running into the city proclaiming and anxiously awaiting city of the victory of the army and the death or capture of the enemy. So it's a, a, a herald bringing good news is the word that is used here. Now you may have heard the story of Pheidippides from uh, Greek history. He is that person who inspired the sporting event, the marathon. Pheidippides was an evangel. He was a messenger and it's said that he ran 26 miles and 385 yards, which is the distance of a marathon. Uh, he, he ran that distance from the city of Marathon to the city of Athens in order to deliver the news of a military victory by the Greeks against the Persians. And I think he died at the end once he got there. I would die at the end, too, if I had to run 26 miles. But some people love to do that sort of thing. That's not my thing. But in honor of this feat, the marathon was born. Pheidippides was, as I said, an evangelist. He brought good news. And when he got to Athens, he evangelized or announced or proclaimed the evangel or the good news. We translate it gospel. And that word gospel is interesting in and of itself. It comes from the old English God spell, uh, from God or God spell, uh, being not God, but good, plus spell, meaning a tale. So it's a good tale, good news, gospel. That's what it means. Now it's important to note that this Good news, this gospel that Jesus is proclaiming here, evangelizing, broadcasting from city to city, village to village, it's not instruction. It's not instruction. It is news. It is a report of events. Don't think of the news like we have it today. Because in our news, you know, we get, a, we get all the slant of one side or the other, and there's a spin on it. This is just, a, the news here is just a report of events, something that has happened. And Jesus went about proclaiming good news. But what is this good news? Well, the text literally says that Jesus was proclaiming and heralding the kingdom of God. 
He was proclaiming and heralding the kingdom of God. The word good news is simply included in that second verb. So the word good news is not actually in it. He was, there was good news to be had about the kingdom of God, and that's what Luke is telling us about what Jesus went around doing. He was, he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. Mark says it like this, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the evangel, the good news. Well, so there's good news that Jesus went around proclaiming. Let's put this into context, the context of the good news. Uh, We have to go all the way back to Genesis to get the context, of course. God created humans and he put them in a perfect place, the Garden of Eden. They were perfect and innocent there. When, When God made them, he said, this is very good. They were very good. They only knew good. There was nothing bad in the world at that point at all. But but then, of course, they rebelled against God by listening to Satan's lies and they became marked by sin. No longer were they naturally innocent. They were bent towards sin. Their wills were bent to prefer autonomy from God instead of submission to God. Their emotions were skewed. They did not feel the way that they should about everything. And their thoughts became selfish and self-centered. And also their bodies became subject to decay, to disease and death. Those things became part of their existence as human beings. And what was worse than any of that was that they became alienated from God. They knew a time when they could fellowship with God in the garden. You'll note when uh, after they eat the forbidden fruit, they hear the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They knew that sound. They knew fellowship with God there in the garden. But they were banished from the garden. They were alienated from God. Their loving creator... Now, all of these consequences of their sin is passed on to us. It has been passed along from one generation to the next throughout history, throughout the history of the world, even to today, even to every one of us here inside this sanctuary this morning. Now, you take that about ourselves and all other human beings that live, and then you add to it that not just the humans that live on earth but all of creation was placed under a curse. When God pronounces a curse on the serpent and Adam and Eve, he says, Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. My yard is overtaken by weeds, and I didn't do anything to make that happen. It's not my fault. The ground is cursed. And Paul reiterates that fact in Romans 8 
He says the creation was subjected to futility. That word is vanity, meaninglessness, pointlessness. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the the earth is vain and in bondage to corruption. And the whole creation is just groaning for that day when Christ will free it from its curse. So, our human existence is billions of people on this planet, alienated from God, filled with all kinds of wickedness, subject to disease, poverty, evil spiritual forces that are running rampant, uh, who oppress individuals like Mary Magdalene, and, and then ultimately death. All living in a world of futility, vanity, in bondage to corruption and decay. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, we were dead in sins and trespasses in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So all of mankind is subject to this wrath of God. We're at odds with God. Creation is under a curse, and we're subject to decay and death. Well, I guess there is some bad news in this sermon. That's bad news. But that's the context in which Jesus enters the earth, heralding and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. God himself, robed in human flesh, physically entering this world dominated by the prince of the power of the air and the curse of sin. I love westerns, western movies. They don't make as many as they used to, and that's a shame. But there's an iconic line, and if it's not an an actual line in the movie, uh, the theme exists in practically every Western that you see, made before 1968, and I can tell you why I say that uh, later or another time. Uh, But there's a line or a theme, and that line is, there's a new sheriff in town. You know, you've seen the movie. There's a, a poor western town that has been overrun by evil men and thugs. And they oppress all the townsfolk. And the townsfolk are at their mercy and have to do the bidding of these wicked men. They've killed the old sheriff and or run him off. And, and then our hero shows up. And he's the new sheriff in town. And things are going to be different. And he confronts and defeats the bad guys. We love that story. I mean, every Western is really that story over and over and over again, and yet we watch it. And you can go beyond that genre to any genre, any, any genre where we love, where the, the bad guy gets it in the end, and the good guy wins out, and we have a hero. We love that, and we'll watch it over and over again because it is woven into the very fabric of our planet. It's the history of the world being played out on film. 
and in book form over and over and over again. Jesus is the ultimate new sheriff in town. And he announced it like this. We look back at Luke 4. When he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and he, and he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he unrolled it and he went to that place where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. It's the equivalent of him standing up and saying, there's a new sheriff in town. And all the brokenness of sin all the tyranny of evil, all the brokenness of this world that comes from the curse that was placed on it by sin, I have come to fix it. I have come to redeem it. I have come to rescue it. I am the Savior who's come to make things like they are meant to be. And Luke's been describing that for us, hasn't he? How Jesus has been reversing the curse of sin as he goes from town to town by healing the sick, recovering of sight to the blind. He's, he's cleansing the leper. He's casting out the demons. He's even raising the dead. He's got the power over all these things that sin has brought into the world. God's kingdom is coming in and it's taking over. That's what Jesus is announcing. God in the flesh is on the scene. He himself is actually the good news because he embodies the reversal of the curse. You remember Christmas? We read it every year, Luke 2, where the shepherds are out there tending their flocks by night and the angel appears. And what does the angel say? Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news, an evangel. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior to save us from all the bad things that sin has brought into our lives and into the world. The good news is, is that the ultimate king has arrived to save us from all the misery brought into the world by sin. And he began the work when he came the first time and he scored his greatest victory at the cross where he paid the penalty for our sins there and then defeating death when he, paid, when he rose from the grave. And he's going to finish the work. He will return and complete that Job, he will come and sin and death will be eradicated. They will be no more and we will dwell in his kingdom forever in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the good news. This is the ultimate good news for all of creation. All of history is about this good news. Everything that is happening in the world is moving to that point where Jesus comes and he finishes the deal. The rider on the white horse comes in, our hero, 
and he is going to defeat all his and our enemies. Cast them into the lake of fire, and he is going to reign forever in the new heavens and new earth, and we will reign with him if we are his people. He is the one, and he's going this, in this chapter from village to village, city to city, methodically sharing the good news that the kingdom of God is on the move. It's coming. It's going to defeat sin, Satan, and death. He showed that he is the one by healing diseases and casting out demons and raising the dead. That's why John, you know, John was had some expectations. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And John sent his disciples to him, John the Baptist, and said, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? He wanted the kingdom to come in at full force right off the bat from Jesus. He didn't understand the, the two-stage fulfillment of Jesus coming the first time and the second time. So he says, Are you the one? Well, the next verse says, In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight, and he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. He's showing John by his power over all these this brokenness that's in the world. He's showing John that he is the one. He's showing us that he is the one who can save us. Well, how should we respond to this good news? If Jesus is the one about whom all history is about, if he is the Savior that will free us from the guilt of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin then you need to respond appropriately to this good news. That we're not food for worms. I had a lady tell me that one time. We're just food for worms. We live and we die and then we rot in the grave and that's all there is. Is that true? If it is, it's terrible news. Macbeth in, in, uh, in Shakespeare's classic has that line... Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Look, Jesus came to redeem us and the world. And you can be, a, you can be saved along with this world. Life is significant. Macbeth is wrong. Life isn't a, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Life is significant when lived in the light of the good news, when you understand what God is doing with history. And Jesus preached. He said, he told us what to do. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Now, repentance means to turn from sin. Now sin, uh, you know, is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God, according to our uh, catechism. 
uh, it's not doing what God wants us to do or it's failing to do uh, what he's told us to do. When we, you know, in essence, it's rebellion against God. We're going to do what we want to do. We're not going to do what God wants us to do. And that's the source of all the misery in the world and in your life. That's it. If Jesus came to save us from sin and its effects, then you don't want to harbor sin. It's your enemy. Sin is your enemy. When you peel back all the layers of all the reasons why there are problems in your life and in the world today, you will get down ultimately to the answer, and that is sin. Sin. Now, I'm not saying that the reason you have cancer is because God is punishing you for your sins. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying that you are suffering cancer because sin entered the world to begin with and brought with it bondage to decay. Things happen like that in our broken, messed up world. You can die from cancer or you can die from what is termed natural causes. But either way, you die because sin entered the world and death with it. And death is inevitable for humans, whether it's through disease, through an accident, or through old age, because sin brought death with it. When we are born, just, we're just counting down the days until we die because of sin in the world. David Paulson in his book says, uh, his book called uh, Seeing with New Eyes, he says, sin is its own final reason. Sin is the deepest explanation, not just one more problem begging for deeper reasons. They, we might try to explain sin. We might try to explain our own sin. Why do I sin? Well, maybe my mom didn't love me or, you know, something tragic happened in my life that causes me to sin. No, you sin because you're a sinner. Sin is at the heart of it. Sin is the final answer. Sin is the base. There's nothing underneath it. So to repent means we turn from sin and all the junk that comes with it and turn to Christ because, you know, all the brokenness that we have in our lives plus death uh, all of it's because of sin, but there's this good news that there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who has come to save us. And he showed us in his life and ministry that he's the only one who can redeem us. He can cleanse us from sin. So we must turn from sin to something, namely the Savior, the one who has the power to redeem us, to cleanse us, to renew us. And one day, ultimately, will renew not only us, but all things in the new heavens and the new earth. If you don't, have never really responded to that good news today, I want to challenge you to do that, to, to cry out to the Lord, to say, Lord, I see that sin is the source of my misery in my life, my own sin is the source of the misery in my life. And Jesus isn't promising to make your life all easy all at once. He will one day. 
in the new heavens and new earth because there won't be any problem. There won't be any sin anymore. But when we turn to him, that's the only way we will have any hope whatsoever. You can't save yourself. You can't try to improve your life or yourself because sin is still there. Your problem is still there. Jesus is the only one that can forgive sins. He's the only one that can free you from your bondage to sin. And ultimately, he's the only one that can free you from the presence of sin. So turn to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus into the world, bringing good news of the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that everyone here will become citizens of that kingdom. Lord, help us who are citizens of that kingdom uh, be good ambassadors for your kingdom, taking this message of reconciliation to the world. Lord, we pray that that you would cleanse us and renew us and, and thrill us with the good news. And Lord, may it not only impact our lives as we see the futility and the, the vanity of sin and all the misery that it brings into the world, pray that we would turn from that and turn to you and to, to, to the Savior and to the plan that you have that you're executing in the history of the world and give us hope. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.